0: Chapter Thirteen, Part B of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. But all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don Evans. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lowell Chapter Thirteen part b the life cycle several distinct stages are recognized in the career of any organism certain of which constitute the life cycle they are briefly enumerated the egg embryo adolescent and adult which in turn gives rise to the egg of a future generation an additional stage not always included is the senile or that of old age and the life of the individual is terminated by death which however although a perfectly normal phenomena is not necessarily part of the life cycle and may occur at any stage of the organism's career if death occurs before procreation is accomplished The normal life cycle is not complete for as the name cycle implies the full sequence of events is from egg to egg or if the individual be a male from egg to sperm egg the egg germ or spore is the initial stage in the ontogeny of any organism unless it be asexually produced and perhaps the greatest marvel of the organic world is the minuteness of this starting point for while an ovum the size of a pinhead is a large one many are microscopic and a spermatozoon may be but one hundred thousandth of the ovum size and these two uniting cells are the vehicles of inheritance and contain within them all the future characteristics physical, mental, and moral, wherein the offspring resembles its parents, be they rotifers or dinosaurs or mice or men. But this is not all, for Delage cut a very minute sea-urchin's egg into three parts and reared a larva from each, and in another case he reared an embryo from one eighty-seventh of a sea-urchin's egg. Twin animals may often be obtained from one oven by producing a separation of the first two cleavage cells, and it is thought that this is the way the so-called identical human twins are normally produced. Professor E. B. Wilson, by shaking apart the four-cell stage in the development of the lancelet, produced quadruplets. On the other hand, the eggs, especially of reptiles and birds, are relatively enormous, because there is contained within the shell sufficient food in the form of yolk to sustain and build up the organism through its entire embryonic period. The maximum recorded size of an egg is that of the recently extinct flightless bird, the Epiornis of Madagascar the shell of which measures nine by thirteen inches while an ostrich's egg measures but four and a half by six the epiornus egg would therefore hold the contents of six ostrich eggs or one hundred forty eight hens eggs or thirty thousand hummingbirds eggs that's from lucas there is rarely a very definite ratio between the size of the egg and the creature which produced it for the apteryx another flightless bird still living in new zealand whose bodily bulk is less than that of a hen lays an egg measuring three by five inches and weighing about one-third of its own weight it is not surprising therefore that it lays but two the presumption is until we have evidence to the contrary that in common with most other reptiles except the viviparous ichthyorus whose high seas adaptation rendered it impossible to come ashore for egg-laying and a few modern lizards and snakes the dinosaurs were oviparous or egg-laying if so the eggs of a sixty-foot brontosaurus must have been huge although even they may not greatly have exceeded those of the Epiornus. embryonic stage this is the period of development from the beginning of cleavage until the assumption of free life generally that spent either within the eggshell or within the body of the mother if she is viviparous as in certain sharks the above-mentioned reptiles and the mammals Certain stages of development are common to all metazoan animals, and the inference is therefore that these must represent ancestral stages through which the metazoa, as a whole, passed in the dim youth of their racial career. Immediately after impregnation, cleavage occurs, dividing the egg into two, then four, then eight, sixteen, and so on. Individual cells, which remain attached to one another, forming a solid aggregate known as the morula from the Latin mulberry. Further segmentation produces a hollow embryo, the blastula, that's Latin for sprout, the cavity within being the segmentation cavity or blastocele, that's Greek for hollow. The organism is now comparable to volvox consisting as it does of a single layer of cells enclosing the more or less voluminous cavity in its simplest form the blastula shows no cell differentiation but in the aquatic invertebrates it may be uniformly ciliated and swim freely through the water with a rotary movement about a definite axis One end of which always points in the direction of progress. In many blastuli, especially such as are not free swimming, the cells soon begin to differentiate, especially at the posterior pole of the free swimming forms or at the corresponding portion of those which are non motile. These posterior cells are generally somewhat larger than the anterior ones especially in those embryos in which much food-yolk tends to concentrate and they will ultimately give rise to the vegetative tissues of the organism the next stage is that known as the gastrula that's greek for stomach in which the embryo becomes two-layered with a full differentiation into two distinct tissues composed of cells, primary requisite of a metazoan animal. This is generally the result of an inpushing or invagination of the cells of the vegetative pole into the blastocele, more or less obliterating it. The embryo is now a two-layered or diploblastic sac, the newly formed cavity lined by the invaginated cells being the primitive gut or archenteron that's Greek for first and intestine, while the opening to the exterior is the gastrula mouth or blastopore. Of the two primitive germ layers now formed, the outer one in the higher metazoa gives rise to the integument, the nervous system and sense organs of the adult and is known as the ectoderm while the inner one from which the digestive tract and certain of its glands such as the liver develop is known as the endoderm but gastrula do not always arise by so simple a method as invagination for sometimes the several cells of the blastula each divide in a plane parallel to the outer surface of the embryo, the resultant outer cells becoming ectoderm, the inner ones endoderm. The appearance of a blastopore puts the archenteron in communication with the exterior. It will be noticed, however, that in this case the Arcanteron is the same as the blastocele, not an enclosed portion of the external world as in the first instance. This mode of gastrulation is called delamination. Yet a third method is by immigration, in which certain cells of the blastula leave their position and pass into the enclosed blastocele, where they divide, and eventually fill and obliterate the entire cavity, resulting in a solid organism, the parenchyma, which consists of a mass of cells enclosed within a single layer. Later, in the middle, a cavity appears which gradually enlarges, and the inner cells are pushed outward until they form a single endodermal layer within the ectoderm a blastopore then forming the gastrula is complete evidence seems to show that this last method of the formation of a gastrula is the most primitive and that the invagination or the delamination processes are derivatives of it be that as it may the fact remains that up to this point all metazoan development whatever the ultimate result follows the same or strictly parallel roads although the exigencies of its life causing the animal to be sedentary or free and especially the presence and amount of food yolk, may modify the several stages to a considerable degree now we come to the parting of the ways when the least related go each their several roads which ultimately branch into as many byways as there are forms of life the nearer of kin the creatures are the later is their embryonic divergence post embryonic life the adolescent age is the period of youth from the time when the embryonic stage is left until sexual maturity is attained when the organism becomes an adult even though its growth shall not have been completed often the young once the embryonic stage is passed is a miniature of its parents again it may differ from them so widely that its relationship to those who gave it existence would never be even guessed in the former case, the development is direct, in the latter indirect, or by metamorphosis, the adolescent form being called a larva. A familiar instance of metamorphosis is that undergone by the frogs and toads, in which the young hatch out as limbless, tailed larva, with tuft-like gills on either side of the neck the head is not constricted off from the body and the long tail bears a delicate web of skin above and below which aids in swimming the mouth is armed with a pair of horny jaws composed of numerous closely set horny teeth in the course of a few weeks in some species the limbs begin to appear first the hind limbs later apparently suddenly the fore in reality the four limbs have been developing all along but were concealed by a fold of skin the operculum which had previously grown over the gills later the creature's lungs become functional the tail shrivels and it soon emerges on land as a perfect frog or toad as the case may be THERE ARE ALL SORTS OF MODIFICATIONS OF THIS STRAIGHTFORWARD PROCESS DUE TO ADAPTATIONS TO VARIOUS LIFE CONDITIONS, BUT THE FACT OF METAMORPHOSIS REMAINS, ALTHOUGH IN SOME INSTANCES APPROACHING VERY NEAR TO DIRECT DEVELOPMENT. THE FROGS ARE INSTANCES OF METAMORPHOSIS FROM A LOWER TO A HIGHER PLANE OF LIFE, AND MOST OF THE MARVELOUS INSECT METAMORPHOSES ARE OF A SIMILAR SORT but the change is not always progressive upward, and in some instances, notably where the adult is sedentary or parasitic and as a consequence degenerate, the metamorphosis is retrogressive and results in an adult animal on a distinctly lower plane than when in the larval stage. The chapter on parasitism and degeneracy will give several instances of this retrogression, and a single instance that of the tunicates or sea squirts will suffice for the present these animals are in part planktonic but mostly sedentary benthonic forms having a somewhat sac-like shape with two orifices one inhalant the other exhalant through which water enters and leaves the body for the purpose of food-getting and respiration while chordate animals the adult shows but one of the three diagnostic characters which serve to define the group this is the pharynx, perforated by gill slits the notochord and the typically hollow nervous system not being in evidence they are present in the young however for there hatches from the egg a tiny tadpole-like creature which swims around in the sea by means of a webbed tail stiffened by a gelatinous notochord there is also a hollow spinal cord somewhat like that of the frog tadpole except that there is a very slight dilation where one would seek to find the brain and this contains a very primitive sort of eye And another organ which may represent an ear or an organ of equilibration that's for balancing sense after a very brief life of freedom the larva becomes fixed first by a pair of adhesive organs and later by the outer tunic of cellulose characteristic of the group to which it belongs the tail the notochord the greater part of the nervous system, and the sense organs disappear, and the creature degenerates into a stage of development comparable to that of the lower metazoa. Were it not for their life history, the place in nature of the tunicates would be very difficult to fix, as it is they are clearly a degraded offshoot of the stem which gave rise to the vertebrates themselves. The adult stage is reached as soon as the metamorphosis, if such there be, is completed. With the insects, the assumption of the powers of flight marks its advent. While growth may continue for some time, or even as in certain fishes almost indefinitely, the animal is generally sexually mature and parenthood is possible. Ultimately there comes senility, when the bodily powers begin to wane creation ceases and the animal becomes less and less active and capable of protecting itself it is thus more readily the prey of disease or of other rapacious forms and shortly death ends its career thompson seaton who knows animals as few are privileged to do tells us that among wild creatures practically all die a violent death sooner or later and that what we call a natural death as applied to mankind rarely if ever occurs among them length of life in most organisms there is a definite limit of growth and when the size best suited to the needs of the species is attained further increase ceases exceptions apparently exist in certain water-borne forms such as the fishes and whales where the energy usually needed in overcoming gravity may be turned into growth force and in exceptional cases will produce an individual far in excess of the normal optimum of size so it is with the length of life some organisms which like the annual plants die when they have provided for the continuation of their species have a very definite lifespan. the limits of which are determined by the procession of the seasons others like the perennial plants continue to live barring accident until sere old age sets in with its warning of impending death in those forms with definite life duration egg-laying is often fatal for in some cases as in certain flatworms there is no birth opening and the young are liberated only through the death and disintegration of the mother the abdomen of a mayfly bursts during egg-laying, and many female butterflies die after oviposition. and the same is true even of robust animals like lampreys. The drone, who succeeds in fertilizing the queen-hive bee, dies as he succeeds. All the others who are unsuccessful also die. A male spider often lays his life on the altar of sex and the same is true of some scorpions from thompson in creatures which survive there is also a normal duration of life like man's threescore years and ten which few attain and fewer exceed most records of longevity are derived from observations on animals in captivity and hence as the latter are sheltered from many of the vicissitudes of wild life may exceed the average on the other hand as for instance in the case of a gorilla it is practically impossible to keep a captive alive for more than a very brief existence the life of dinah a young gorilla kept in the new york zoological park for eight months constituting a record at all events whether captivity lessens or increases the animal's chance for survival its length of life cannot exceed the potential longevity of its species within each group of animals the duration of youth is in rough agreement with the possible span of the whole life and also with the relative size to which the members of the particular species attain But this is not without some very marked exceptions elephants are the largest and heaviest of existing land animals the african elephant reaches a greater size and bulk than the indian species the tallest wild specimen whose height has been recorded was shot in abyssinia and stood eleven feet eight and a half inches at the shoulder jumbo the largest african elephant that has been in captivity was eleven feet high when he left the London Zoological Gardens, and is stated to have reached twelve feet before he died in America. An Indian elephant, ten feet six inches in height, is unusually large. A moderately sized elephant, of about seven feet high, weighs from two to three tons, and a really fine example between five and six tons. Jumbo, having weighed six and a half tons elephants grow slowly the duration of their youth is from twenty to twenty-four years a very much longer time than that occupied by the youth of any other terrestrial mammal except man if however we remember that a full-grown elephant weighs as much as fifty full-grown men and that these animals have some difficulty in obtaining the enormous quantities of food they require The length of their youth is not so remarkable that's from mitchell elephants may live a century or even more but it is doubtful whether their average length of life is anything like that jumbo was born in 1864 and died by accident in 1888 a duration of but 24 years the ruminating ungulates without exception have a very short duration of youth in proportion to their size and could be arranged in an almost regular series in which size and duration of youth were parallel giraffes are the largest and their period of youth lasts from six to seven years camels are adult in three years llamas and alpacas in rather less domestic cattle are adult in about two years bison take between two and three years and increase in size for rather longer which is also true of cattle the very large deer-like elk are adult in two years but may continue to increase in size for a longer period whilst in them as in other deer although there may not be much increase in actual size the antlers become more spreading and acquire more points for many years after maturity has been attained elands which are the largest of the antelopes are mature in three to four years many of the little dikers reach their full size and are adult in about twelve to eighteen months the range of the period of youth in the whole group of ruminants lies between seven years and one year and follows the size of the animal very closely Uh, that's by mitchell the widest range of life duration perhaps is found among insects and the ratio of adult life to that of youth is especially varied in many plant lice the total life lasts only two or three weeks the total life of common flies such as the blowfly and the housefly is a little longer the blow fly hatches out in twenty-four hours the larva takes a fortnight to grow whilst the metamorphosis within the pupa case takes a fortnight in warm weather and much longer when it is cold the normal life of the adult fly is from a few days to a few weeks or in specially favourable circumstances a few months amongst bees, the larval life and the metamorphosis occupy at most a few weeks whilst the life of the adult is relatively longer worker bees never live beyond the year in which they are produced whilst the life of drones may be only a few days and is never more than a few months as towards the end of the season when honey is getting scarce they are driven out of the hive to perish queen bees may live from two to five years They are fed and cared for by the workers, and their confinement to the hive after the nuptial flight preserves them from the vicissitudes of the weather, also from Mitchell. Mayflies live from six months to three years as aquatic larvae, but their adult life may be measured by the span of a single afternoon, as they are mouthless and only live long enough to recreate their kind the extreme recorded life duration of insects is that of the american seventeen-year cicada or locust cicada septendesim, which in the middle and northern states live no less than sixteen years underground feeding on the juices extracted from the roots of plants the spring of the seventeenth year they emerge from the ground burrow up through the surface soil and climb the trunks of trees where they undergo their final molt and emerge as large four-winged bugs they then pair the female lays her eggs in slits cut in the twigs of trees and before the season has waned the adults are at rest the eggs hatch the young burrow underground and begin their long subterranean lives It is interesting to note that 13-year broods of what is apparently the same species occur in the southern states, doubtless a response to the longer-growing period available in each individual year. Some recorded instances of longevity are the tortoise, 350 years, elephant, 130, swan, eagle, and parrot, 100 mankind omitting the biblical patriarchs seventy years with perhaps one hundred thirty years as a maximum sea anemone sixty-six years horse forty-two crayfish twenty and so on while the recorded age of the giant trees that is the sequoias some of which antedate the roman empire gives the greatest known duration as thompson says in the wonder of life several groups of animals may be recognized from the viewpoint of their life span first the first is that of the immortal unicellular animals which under ideal conditions never grow old and which seem exempt from natural death second THE SECOND IS THAT OF MANY ANIMALS WHICH REACH THE LENGTH OF THEIR LIFE'S TETHER WITHOUT ANY HINT OF AGING, AND PASS OFF THE SCENE, OR ARE SHOVED OFF, VICTIMS OF VIOLENT DEATH. IN MANY FISHES AND REPTILES, FOR INSTANCE, WHICH ARE OLD IN YEARS, THERE IS NOT IN THEIR ORGANS OR TISSUES THE LEAST HINT OF age DEGENERATION. THREE. The third is that of the majority of civilized human beings, some domesticated and some wild animals, in which the decline of life is marked by normal senescence. 4. The fourth is that of many human beings, not a few domesticated animals, for instance, horse, dog, cat, and some semi-domesticated animals, notably bees, in which the close of life is marked by distinctively pathological senility it seems certain that wild animals rarely exhibit more than a slight senescence while man often exhibits a bathos of senility this is due to the fact that the majority of wild animals seem to die a violent death before there is time for senescence much less senility the character of old age depends upon a nature Of the physiological bad debts some of which are more unnatural than others much more unnatural in tamed than in wild animals much more unnatural in man than in animals furthermore civilized man sheltered from the extreme physical forms of the struggle for existence can live for a long time with a very defective hereditary constitution which may end in a period of very undesirable senility man is very deficient in the resting instinct and seldom takes much thought about resting habits in many cases too there has come about in human societies a system of protective agencies which allows the weak to survive through a period of prolonged senility we cannot perhaps do otherwise but it is plain that to heighten the standard of vitality is an ideal more justifiable biologically than that of a merely prolonging existence for if old age be then permitted it is more likely to be without senility those whom the gods love die young death is the final and permanent cessation of life functions and in the animals at any rate seems to be a gradual process even though it may appear to be instantaneous for although consciousness has ceased and the heart is stilled forever the various tissue cells gradually succumb to starvation due to the cessation of the blood stream with some tissues it is more gradual than with others for instances are recorded of the growth of hair on a body for some time after general death curious instances of suspended animation also occur which in some cases simulate death so closely as to render distinction very difficult a notable example is that of the bear animalcules, minute forms related to the spiders and scorpions some of which live in damp moss others in fresh or in salt water those inhabiting ditches or other fresh-water pools subjected to drying become completely desiccated and are blown about like particles of dust if by chance they fall into water however they become reanimated expanding to their former size and taking up their life functions where they laid them down many instances of hibernation or winter sleep especially among cold-blooded forms Are also deathlike. End of chapter thirteen, part B. Recording by Don Evans. www.lazuli.com